The very words we are studying just now show us how dependent on you we are, Heavenly Father. Our entire fallen nature, our entire world do everything that's in their power to blind our eyes, to close our ears, to distract us from you, your truth, your glory. But you alone are creator, Lord, and Savior. We pray for you now to humble us, quiet us, capture our attention, dazzle our eyes, conquer our hearts, be Lord of our minds. Big requests we know, but you are bigger than all we ask, as we ask in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Did simple words ever conceal depths as vast as Matthew eleven twenty seven? Hear what Jesus says. I've translated it for you in the outline. All things were delivered over to me by my Father, and no one truly knows the Son except the Father. Nor does one truly know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. These simple-sounding words instantly plunge us into the vast, vast, trackless depths of the relationship of God the Father to God the Son, and of the relationship of God the Father and Son to creation, to mankind, to us. At the same time, they shed a brilliant light on how we may know God and how we may not know God, how to know Him on His own terms, and every other failed alternative. And we see revealed in these words that there's a bridge between God's infinite and unattainable self-knowledge and our derived partial knowledge of Him. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. Through Jesus and Jesus alone can we know God truly in a way that corresponds to the way He knows Himself. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Only through Jesus can we, the creature, know God, the creator. It is he who is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And uh, these words also in Matthew eleven they they're pivotal in this section. I remind you that verses 25 through 30 are the third part of three parts, that begin chapter 11, three subparts, if you will. And uh, in these words, 25 through uh, 30, uh, they're broken up into three parts as well, and it's fairly easy to see. In the first two verses, verses 25 and 26, Jesus addresses his Father. It's a prayer of Jesus to his Father. And in the last uh, verses, verses 28 through 30, he addresses those who are weary and heavy laden and calls them to him. And in the middle, between him speaking to his father and him speaking to these burdening, labored, laboring, burdened, laboring sinners, in between those two addresses, he speaks these words. And he doesn't specify who he's speaking to. It's as if he speaks to the universe, to all creation. From speaking to the father, before speaking to those he wishes to call to himself, he makes this announcement, this pronouncement, to all, all things were delivered over to me by my Father, he says. And no one truly knows the Son except the Father, nor does one truly know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. So in these three sections, to put it doctrinally, we have the truths, uh, the twin truths of election and reprobation in verses 25 and 26, as we have studied before. In the third section, verses 28 through 30, we have an invitation. And right here in the middle, verse 27, we have the mediation of Christ. The first part, election and reprobation. The last part, invitation. Here in the middle, mediation. And the mediator, the only mediator, is Jesus Christ. Now we're going to see that these simple but profound words enrage fallen men but they're exactly what we need to know. They contain the exact truth that we most deeply need. So let's listen very closely and go through this together as we come uh, Roman numeral one 
and see first what blazes forth in Jesus' words is the endowment of the Son. The endowment of the Son. E-N-D-O-W-M-E-N-T. With what is the Son endowed? Well, Jesus says, all things were delivered over to me by my Father. Those words will repay our close attention, so let's do that. And the first thing we begin with is explanation, letter A. Explanation of the words. All things, Jesus says. This is a single word in Greek, panta. And this word panta is fronted, which is to say it's the first word in the sentence, which isn't the necessary normal Greek order. By putting this word first, the Lord Jesus stresses this word. Uh, One commentator translates it absolutely everything. And that kind of is the idea. All things. The first thing he wants to say is all things. Absolutely everything. And makes this audacious claim that all things have been handed over to him by the Father. What prophet ever said that? None. What sage ever said that? None. What king ever said that? None. Only the Lord Jesus can say this and not be a madman. And we read the same idea in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 35, where we read the Father loves the Son and has given, here's the word again, panta, all things into his hand. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All things, he says. Uh, It's an audacious claim and it's an expansive claim. What, What is meant by all things? What's included in this? Well, we could go on and on. I'm going to suggest five And even within the five, there's really more than five, but I don't think anybody will complain too much. So let's look at these five things, just for instance, uh, of what the Father has given the Son. First of all, glorious grace and truth. And I get that from John 1.14. I'll just remind you what that says. Glorious grace and truth. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And what? We We have seen His glory. What kind of glory? Glory as of the only one from the Father. And how does that glory look? Full of grace and truth. We've seen the unique glory of the unique Son of God. A glory that is full of grace and truth. John 1.14 A second of the things that God has bestowed on this incarnate Son is the right to judge all men. Now we saw that Uh, kind of subtly but unmistakably at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. How does the Sermon on the Mount end? He warns about false prophets, Jesus does. And then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of my Father, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, why are they talking to him at all? Why is talking to him a condition for entering the kingdom of God? Because he's the judge. He's the one who will determine who does and who does not enter the kingdom of God. And so what does he say to these pretenders who did religious things, who did flashy things, but didn't know him? What does he say to them? Depart from me. It's his to say. It's his to judge. This is a subtle thing, but this is something no prophet ever would have said. No sage ever would have said. No king ever would have said. No priest ever would have said. But this is where Jesus puts himself. And why does he put himself there? Because the Father puts him there. Look with me at John chapter 5. Turn there if you would please. Gospel of John chapter 5. Fourth book in the New Testament. Fifth chapter in that book. And we will look at verses 22 and 23. And verse 27. Gospel of John five twenty-two. For the Father judges no one. Are you saying people aren't judged? No, no, read on. But has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. This is one that I always bring up to Jehovah's Witnesses or anyone who denies the deity of Christ. Christ says the Father's given him all judgment for the specific purpose that he might be given equal honor to the Father, and that's why the Jews try to kill him because he's putting himself on a par with God, as he does several times in this section. But all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And we'll see that that binary truth several times uh, today, that there are only two categories, those who know God and those who don't, and those who know God honor the Son as God, and everyone else doesn't know God. 
This is what the New Testament teaches and teaches very clearly. And then verse 27, he says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. So Jesus is given glory, glorious grace and truth. Jesus is given the right to judge all men. Jesus is also given the right to give life and the knowledge of God to who he chooses. All you need to do to see that is just back up a verse to John 5, 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he wills. So it depends on his will, not his ability, because he has the ability. God has given that, uh, him that ability. Unless we think, well, this is talking about those temporary resuscitations that he did during his ministry. no. Unless we think, well, then it's just talking about the bodily resurrection at the end of the age. No. Look at John chapter 17 next for more light on this. And this uh, you'll immediately recognize as Christ's high priestly prayer, the real Lord's prayer, the prayer he prays to his Father. And he asks for glory in verse 1. And then verse 2, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to a subset. And what's that subset? All whom you have given him. From the mass of fallen humanity, God has chosen, God has elected some, and Jesus says he's given those ones to Jesus Christ for the purpose of giving eternal life to them. And what does that life include? Look at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So, uh, you could include another thing here because obviously God gives the, the, the Son a people. That's another bestowal, another endowment. He gives him a people, and to these people, he has the authority to give eternal life, and that eternal life is not mere existence forever, which everyone has. That's not life. That's existence. Eternal life is knowing God. So the life Jesus gives, he has the right to give, he has the ability to give, it's his to choose to give, that life includes the knowledge of God. This is a a magnificent endowment the Father has given him. Uh, A fourth is he's given the power to save and ransom those people, to save and ransom God's elect. We saw that at his birth, or I should say before his birth, in uh, Matthew 121, where the, the angel says, you shall call him Jesus, because why? He himself will save his people from their sins. Well, if he will do it, then he must be able to do it. No? And this ability to do it is, is an incarnational endowment. It's a gift given from the God. by God. God has sent him with this commission, and with that commission comes the ability, the ability to do that. He, he alludes to that same thing at the Last Supper, Matthew uh, pardon me, this is before the Last Supper, Matthew twenty twenty eight, where he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now this is the language of an effectual ransom, a price paid that secures the liberation of many. So the price he pays, which is his life, his blood, that is a sufficient price to secure the freedom of the many for whom he dies. And this is a, an endowment of the sons. It's part of the all things that are given him. And finally, of the things we'll look at today, he has the power to atone for his people's sins, specifically. And that is at the Last Supper, Matthew twenty six twenty eight. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is in his commission an agreement between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that those whom the Father gives to the Son to atone for, the Son will shed his blood for. That will be accepted as a sufficient price and the Holy Spirit will apply that benefit to those people. So all of these are just parts of this grand endowment that Jesus points to when he says, all things are given to me. All things were delivered over to me by my Father. I, I, I just I feel kind of frustrated because I know I, I've just scratched the surface, but, but don't you just see, friend, sinner, everything we really need is in Christ. What do you think you need? 
But what do I think I need? Well, we think we need a, a car or a this or a that. You know what we really need? We need our sins forgiven. You know what we really need? We need to be reconciled to God. You know what we really need? We need to know the truth. You know what we really need? We need to know God. All that is in Jesus Christ. We need a friend at the judgment. We need when we stand before the gates, as it will, as it were, before the seed, I should say, and are judged, we need a friend. We need an advocate there who will say, that's mine. That one is mine. Let him in. Let her in. All that is in Jesus Christ. All that is in Jesus Christ. If you've been going somewhere else, go no longer. Come to Christ. All things have been delivered over to him by the Father. Secondly, he says, all things were delivered over to me. Uh, The to me is fronted. So very literally, all things to me were delivered over. So there's an emphasis to me and to no one else. Not to Michael, the archangel. Not to Gabriel, the angel. Not to some king or some prophet, some priest or apostle. No, no. Not to Mary. Not to the Pope. No, to me. All things have been delivered over. So uh, speaking most likely of him in his incarnate state. This is given to the God-man. These are endowments of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it's it's interesting the word he uses for for delivered over, uh, paradothe. Um, You could translate, we're handed over, uh, we're transmitted, we're handed on to him. But what's interesting about this word is it's related to the noun paradosis, which means uh, tradition. And this is the thing that was the great concern of the scribes and Pharisees, tradition, because it was handed over. It was handed over from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi, you see. And so they thought it was all the richer because they were in iteration number 25 or 250. It had been handed over so many times. And what he's saying is what I have was not handed over from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi or prophet to prophet to prophet. What I have was handed over directly to me by my father. There's no chain of succession. Uh, It's given directly to Jesus Christ and to Him alone by God the Father. So don't go to the experts on tradition and human doctrines. Go to Jesus Christ who was given these things, who was given all things by the Father. And He says, by my Father. And I just remind you, Jesus never says, our Father. And if you, well, He says those words, but He never praise our Father or calls God our Father. And if you're like me, before I was a Christian, you immediately think, well, he did when he prayed our Father who art in heaven. But I remind you, he didn't pray that prayer. What was that prayer? That was a prayer he taught his disciples to pray. He never prayed that prayer. How do I know that? One clause in there. Forgive us our trespasses. That's something Jesus never prayed. He never had trespasses to forgive. So he calls God my father dozens of times. It's recorded in the New Testament. He he calls God my father or the father or your father because his relationship to God is unique. There's analogies, but there's no equal. Uh, Angels may be called sons of God. The, The saved may be called sons of God, but they're all creatures. Their, their adoption, their, their creation, sorry, their sonship is all by adoption or by likeness or some other thing. Jesus alone is the son of the father with no beginning and no end. Jesus alone shares the nature of his father. Uh, with us, it's kind of more like if you adopted your dog, which probably is being done these days, or marrying dogs. If, if it's not now, uh, it's tomorrow. Uh, but that will never make a dog a human being. That will never make a dog our, li- our kind. Uh, and so we will never be the kind of God, but Jesus is. Jesus is of one substance with the Father. He is the Son. So two implications, letter B of this, I'd like to tease out. Two implications. And the first is very important. This grounds all of Jesus' teaching, all of his promises, all of his threats. There's one thing you should ask every time someone gets up and starts yammering on about religion and starts yammering on whether whether he's a Christian or not. Uh, And and certainly all the people who get up and say, 
man is infinite and he could do infinite things and so forth and so on, or they want to contradict the Bible and say these things like they are the absolute truth. And the one question everybody should ask such people is, by what authority do you say that? What gives you the right to say that? What, what, what is the grounding? I know you feel confident of it, um, but what is the actual grounding, the authority for what you say? Well, Jesus tells us here something that no one else can say truthfully, that what he has, he was given directly by the Father. All things to me were handed over, were delivered over by the Father. So uh, when he makes a promise, that promise rests on the authority and the gift of God. When he makes a threat, you can take that to the bank. That also rests on the authority of God. When he tells you and me about eternal things, heavenly things, spiritual things, it rests on the very authority of God, which was given to him. All things were handed over to me by my Father. And the second implication of this is this shows both his manhood and his godhood at the same time. Martin Luther brings this out, the great Martin Luther, man of great insights. Uh, great, great flaws as well, but great insights. And Luther noted that Jesus can only say this if he is both God and man. Uh, meaning what? Well, no mere man could say all things were delivered over to me by my father. It takes more than a man to say that. You must be God to say that. But at the same time, God doesn't need to be given anything. You see? God, by the virtue of being God, has everything. It doesn't need to be given anything. So it only makes sense for Jesus to say, all things were given over to me by my Father, if he is at the same time fully God and fully man in one person. And that indeed is exactly what he is. Perfect God, perfect man. And as God, it's all things. And as man, it's given to him in his human nature. So the endowment of the sun is, is vast. It's dazzling. It's breathtaking. It's overwhelming. It's all things. But now let's look second at the knowledge of the son, which Jesus comes to when he says, and no one truly knows the son except the father. Roman numeral two the knowledge of the Son, and no one truly knows the Son except the Father. And in these words, let's look first at what is explicit, what, what is right there on the face of these words, and no one truly knows the Son except the Father. Well, for one thing, there is an explicit exclusion. What do I mean by an exclusion? Well, he says, nobody, nobody truly knows the Father except the Son. I'm sorry, the Son except the Father. I knew I'd do that at least once. I'll try not to do it again. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. No creature has true knowledge of the inner nature of Christ. So that tells us when somebody says, well, I'm a scientist and I'll tell you about Jesus. Oh, a scientist doesn't have the instruments to tell you that. that that's not accessible to him by a microscope or, or by a spectrometer or anything. He doesn't have the instruments to tell that knowledge. Or if a philosopher gets up and says, well, I will muse out the truth about Christ. No, no, it's not in him. It's not in his mind. He can't look within or deduce his way to the depths of Christ's nature. He can't tell you about Christ. And a historian says, well, I'm a historian, so I'm an expert, so I'll tell you about Jesus. He doesn't have the data to tell him about the inner workings and the inner nature of Christ unless he depends entirely on what... Uh, the Father reveals in God's word. So he's saying no creature has this knowledge. The only one who has this knowledge is the Father. And why is that? It's because he's the Son par excellence. He is the one-of-a-kind Son. God the Son. And so the, if you want to know the depths of an infinite being, what must you be? Infinite. And there is no creature, by definition, who is infinite. We don't have the instruments to have this knowledge. And even if we had the instruments, we don't have the, the, the RAM. We don't have the, the power in our CPU or in our wetware. We don't have the ability. We don't have what it takes, even if we had the instruments. So it excludes all creature. The, the, the verb is, is from the simple word, um, sorry, simple word ginosko, which means to know. And it's intensified by putting a preposition on the front of it, epigonosco, 
which can be used to suggest deep knowledge, accurate knowledge, specific knowledge, true knowledge. And that's the way he uses it here. No one really knows. No one really fully knows. No one truly knows the Son except the Father. Now there's the inclusion. Number two, the inclusion. There is one who knows him, and that's the Father. Because he alone is Christ's peer. Because he alone is of the same essence with the Holy Spirit, who is also in the same category, being God. But he's speaking specifically of Father and Son here. So he alone is Christ's peer. And there are great consequences to, the, to this truth that Jesus is giving us. That the only one who truly knows him is the Father. So that being the case, where does that put you and me? Well, it puts us to where, first of all, uh, our knowledge of Jesus must bow before the Father's testimony. Whatever the Father says about Jesus, we must bow before that because only he fully, truly knows Jesus. That's the first uh, uh, consequence of this. Um, And what does the Father say of Jesus? Well, it is baptism, Matthew 3.17. Remember, what did the Father say? He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am delighted. So he owns Jesus as his son. He tells us that that his unconditional love rests on Jesus. And he tells us that Jesus is his delight. That in Jesus he sees the reflection of his own substance. And he's delighted in the person of Jesus. He says more, remember in chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember they see the two great figures of Judaism. They see Elijah and Moses. but, But what happens then? a cloud overshadows them and a voice comes from the cloud. And what does that voice say? That voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm delighted. Listen to him. Why listen to him? Because all things were delivered to him by his father. So listen to him. This is what the father says. So first of all then, uh, our knowledge of Christ must bow before the father's testimony to Christ. Secondly, To reject Christ, therefore, is to reject the Father's testimony. It's no small thing to say that you reject Christ. It's no small thing to say, well, I don't believe Christ is the Son of God. And maybe you've talked to people like this, or or maybe, I don't know everybody here, maybe you are a person like this who said, like I used to say, well, I just just know God. I I don't need to go through Jesus. I don't need a a, a go-between. I don't need some sort of middleman. I I just go straight to God. And you go straight to God, and he will say, you didn't accept my testimony about my son. You've got nothing to do with me. You, You barge into my presence having rejected what I say about my beloved son who I told you to listen to to whom I gave all things. Uh, John says this so clearly in his letter, 1 John 5.10. I love this, and this was so powerful to me as a young convert out of a cult just like that. 1 John 5.10, the one who believes in the Son of God has this witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the witness which God has borne witness about his Son. If you don't believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God and the only way to know God the Father, then you reject what the Father has said about him. And I put myself against the Father's authority, you see. To reject the Father's uh, testimony about Christ is to reject the Father. And, in effect, John says, to call him a liar. And that's not saying it too strongly. God says, listen to him. We say, I don't need to then we're calling God a liar. And that is inadvisable. That is a bad place to be. So letter A, what is explicit? And now I'd like to to, um, talk with you about what is implicit in these words. And I'm sure you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but let me point out something that that puzzled me uh, in early readings of this. I wonder if it's puzzled any of you. Do you notice that he says... All things were delivered over to me by my Father, and no one truly knows the Son except the Father, nor does any truly know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. Why doesn't he add that part to the first part? You know what I'm saying? In other words, why doesn't he say, no one truly knows the Son except the Father, and anyone to whom the Father decides to reveal him? So it's like he says, he reveals the Father, but the Father doesn't reveal the Son? 
So here's the implicit thing. Why doesn't Jesus say that? And the answer is because he just did. He just did say that. What do verses 25 and 26 say? Especially verse 25. At that point, Jesus, in response, said, I openly acknowledge you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you hid these things from the wise and comprehending, and what? You reveal them to infants. Oh, there it is. See, he's, he's already said it. The Father must reveal the truth about Christ, the truth that was in these miracles and this preaching that people did not see or respond to. The Father reveals those things to those he saves. And the Son reveals the things of the Father. So what's implicit is verses 25 and 26. That just as he says that the Son reveals these things to those he decides to reveal them to, so he says in verses 25 and 26, God hides these things or reveals them according to his sovereign will. So it's the Father's decision, it's the Son's decision. The Father must reveal, the Son must reveal. And we see this same thing, I'm sure perhaps you've thought of Matthew 16, where Jesus asked the apostles, who do men say I am? And Peter finally comes up with the right answer, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, what does he say? My Father, my Father revealed this to you. So that's, that's the exact thing we're talking about here. So uh, that's what's implicit there. So therefore, uh, we make bold to say that the Father reveals the truth about Christ. And, and I want to say more that um, everyone the Father teaches believes in Christ. Everyone the Father teaches comes to Christ. Only those the Father makes this revelation to come to Christ. But everyone who he makes this revelation to comes to Christ. I see that in this section, but you can also see it clearly in John chapter 6. Go there with me if you would, please. John chapter 6. We were in chapter 5, now we're in chapter 6. We'll look at verses 36 and 37, 39 and 44 and 45. As always, I'll say that again. John six thirty-six and 37, 39 44 and 45. So John 5, 30, uh, 6, 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Well, just, just like the situation in Matthew 11, right? They'd all heard the preaching, they'd all seen the miracles and they did not repent. So here we are again. You've seen me and yet you do not believe. Look at this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 100%. So They're not coming, and if they never come, it's because the Father did not give them to Jesus. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, Jesus says. So all the Father gives will come to Jesus, and all who come to Jesus, he will not cast out. Now verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now keep track of what he's saying here. The only way to come to Jesus is is just like we saw in Matthew 11, if the Father gives us to Jesus. And if he does, then we will come. And if we come, Jesus will not cast us out. He will not lose us. He will raise us up at the last day. Now verses 44 and 45. No one can come to me. The Greek is just just that. No one is able, no one has the ability to come to me unless the Father who sent me pulls him, drags him, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not obviously the resurrection to damnation, but the resurrection to life. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And Jesus says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is very powerful to me as the Lord was saving me out of the cult I was in because in that cult we all believed that God was in everybody. They were all sons of God. Jesus was just like us, only more so. And it was just a continuity. He wasn't in a different category. It was just a continuity. We're all like Jesus. And and you don't need Jesus to know God. God's within you. You can just know God directly. And here's Jesus saying, well, the proof that someone knows God is that he comes to me. So you can make that into a a flow chart. (laughs) You can make that into a syllogism. You can make that into a a diagram. That if here's a person who claims he knows God, okay, and here's the question, does he come to Jesus? If the answer is no, he's lying. If he's come to God, he'll come to Jesus. 
And the only way he'll come to Jesus is by the sovereign grace of God drawing him to Jesus. So Jesus says, says absolutely, anyone who says, well, let me tell you the truth about God. I just, you know, I just don't get into Jesus, but I'm going to tell you about God. Do not listen, Jesus says. He hasn't been taught by the Father. If he were taught by the Father, what would he do? He'd come to Jesus. He'd come to Jesus. If he doesn't come to Jesus, what hasn't happened? He hasn't been taught by the Father. I don't know how to make it plainer, but it's such an important truth. So only the Father truly knows the Son and those to whom he chooses to reveal his Son. Now thirdly and finally, we look together. We've seen the endowment of the Son. We've seen the knowledge of the Son. And now we look at the mediation of the Son. Not meditation, mediation. M-E-D-I-A-T-I-O-N. You know what a mediator is. One who stands between two parties to bring them together. Let's talk about the mediation of the Son then. And there is to that, first of all, letter A, a sublime premise. A deep and sweet premise. That is, it it rests on a truth. Nor does one truly know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. Only the Son truly knows the Father. Uh, Job's friend Zophar said words true and profound when he asked the question, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Good question. And the answer is none of us can. As I say, none of us has the instruments and none of us has the capacity to know God, the, the infinite Father. But Jesus does, you see, and that's the premise. It's the same verb, epigenosco, to fully know, truly know, accurately know. Jesus says only he has that knowledge of the Father. And, and why does he have, only have that knowledge of the Father? Because he's the Father's peer. Though Father and Son are distinct persons, they're equally God. And everything you can say about the Father is God, You can say about the Son. Is the Father immutable? The Son is immutable. Is the Father righteous? The Son is righteous. Is the Father loved? The Son is loved. And on and on and on. They are peers. They alone are peers. And when we have any of those graces, they're pale, creaturely reflections of the original in God, but not Jesus. Jesus has the original just as surely as the Father does. He's the Father's equal. So what is the sublime premise? that this knowledge of God belongs to Jesus. It's his to give. That's the premise. And you want to go to a, a teacher, a shaman, a philosopher, he doesn't have that knowledge. He can make all the promises and the big talk and the flattery in the world. He can uh, echo every, everything the world wants to hear, just like a, like a trained parrot. But he doesn't have it to give. Jesus has it to give. He truly knows the Father. So there is a sublime premise. This knowledge of God is Jesus' to give. He possesses it. As Hebrews says, he is the offshowering of the Father's uh, glory. He's the effulgence of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. The sublime premise, letter B, the sweet promise. And the sweet promise is, this was Christ's mission. To give the knowledge of God to God's people. Isaiah 42 verses 6 and 7. The prophecy. I am the Lord, God says. I've called you, he says to his servant, which is Christ. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations. They're in darkness. You're the light. To open the eyes that are blind. And bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. Uh, the spiritually blind eyes as well as the physically blind eyes. It was Christ's mission to open those eyes and the people who claimed to see to blind them. So this was his mission. And secondly, it was his ministry. Look at John 1.18 with me. I wonder if you're still open to chapter 6. Look at John 1.18. It's just one verse, but it's, it's worth resting our eyes on. Very interesting in Greek. Here's the way the ESV has it. No one has ever seen God, 
the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We can say a lot about that. The first is the same exclusion we've talking about. Nobody, no creature really can grasp the essence of the infinite God. None. It's it's an impossibility. We, We need to understand. It's not that we're here on the scale of being and God is here. Well, no, he's here. Uh, No, he's way up here on that same scale. It's not that. He's not on the scale at all. He's in a different category. It's not like we're A and God is, well, not B, but maybe he's L. No, it's it's, we're A and God is blue. (laughs) He's in another category. And so we can't get there from here. He has to come here from there. And so John 1.18 says, no one's ever seen God. Well, well then, uh, we're in despair. <laughs> then we'll never know God. Oh, wait, the verse is not over. Thank God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. What a deep statement. On the one hand, he's God. On the other hand, he's at the Father's side. So he's equally divine, but he's a distinct person. Well, that's fascinating, but how does that help me? Look at the end of the verse again. He's made him known. Interesting word, exegesato. We get our word exegesis from it, but I don't want to say he's exegeted him. The word means to explain something, to bring out the meaning of something. Here it's not something, it's someone. The Son has brought out the meaning of God. The Son has made God knowable. And this is verse 18, coming after verse 14, which we looked at at earlier. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is him making God known. This is him taking the infinite knowledge he has as God and putting it in a way that we can receive as men because he is also a man. You see? He is God and man. That was his ministry. So first it was his mission. Second it was his ministry. Third, he gives as he chooses. What does he say? No one truly knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son decides to reveal him. Now that, that verb decide, buletai, we've seen that before. We saw that in Matthew chapter 1. Poor Joseph, the big mess he was in. He was engaged to this godly, pious woman who suddenly turns up pregnant, saying that it's a miracle of God. What do you do about that? He can't believe she'd do this, but he can't believe the crazy story. What's he going to do? And he, he's, he's absolutely torn. He goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Finally, we read in verse 19, chapter 1, Joseph, her fiancé, because, right, because he was righteous and yet was not wishing to make her an exhibition, decided to release her privately. Well, there's the same verb. It was what he decided to do. It was the decision he reached. He came on this. This is what he'll do. And that's the same word here. It's the person Jesus decides. It's his decision. It's his will. It's, it's, it's not ultimately mine. It's ultimately his. He's the cause. I'm an effect. And so the one he decides to release, uh, decides to reveal the Father to, and of course it is. The, the, the scripture always depicts this as ultimately being a work of God. Back as far as Deuteronomy 29, where Moses laments, To this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand nor eyes to see. God must give these things. And so it shouldn't surprise a Bible student to see Jesus saying here, well, he's God and it's his to give this as well. He gives the knowledge of God to the one he decides to give that knowledge of God to. It's his to do. What a great person he is. How much we need him. So now let's put this together if we can in a a summary. Letter C of four propositions. I'll wrap this up in four propositions. Four propositions. Very important. Crucial. The first great truth we learn from this verse is that the Father and Christ are one as to their deity and distinct as to their persons. I'll say that a couple of times for you. They are one as to their deity and distinct as to their persons. They're one as to their deity, distinct as to their persons. 
Now, if you're not familiar with the word deity, deity means the quality of being God. Not being like God, but actually being God. They're one as to their deity. So, God is not many gods. God is not three gods. God is one what? As to his essence, God is one. There's only one God. He's one what? But he's three who's. He's one in one way. He's three in a different way. He's one in his essence. There is only one God. He's three in his persons. How do you see that here? Well, Jesus speaks to his father in verses 25 and 26. He's not talking to himself. This is where every Jehovah's Witness who tries to talk to you shows that he doesn't even know what the Trinity means. He doesn't even understand the doctrine that he's trying to talk you out of. When he says, well, if Jesus was God, then who was he praying for? Was he talking to himself? No, he's talking to his Father. This is what like Trinitarians have always taught, because the Scripture teaches that. This shows Father and Son, they're not the same person. Now, there are, there's another class of heretic that messes this up too, the modalists the oneness Pentecostals, the United Pentecostal Church denomination, teaches what's called modalism, which is there is one person, God, who operates under three offices. And I don't know if you've ever used this for the Trinity, but if so, you've, you've used heresy. I know you didn't mean to. But if you tell your child, well, the Trinity is kind of like, like um, daddy is a son to his parents and a husband to your mom and a father to you. See, I'm three and I'm one. Oh, that's modalism. That's heresy. I know you mean well. You can, you can say that, well, you can be one in one way and three in another. That's fair enough. But that's not like what God is. God doesn't act as Father and act as Son and act as Holy Spirit in different times. God's always been the Father, always been the Son, always been the Holy Spirit. Eternally distinct persons. This section shows us that. They are distinct as to their persons. Jesus can speak to the Father. The Father can give to Jesus. But they are equal in their deity. So there's the first proposition, first thing we learn. Second, there are only two religions. And of them, only one leads to God. You say, what are you nuts? I have a book on world religions and it's very thick. There are many, many religions. No, but when you boil it all down, there's only two religions because there's only two starting places. In reality, there are only two starting places. Oh, there are many claimed starting places, but in reality, there's only two starting places. What are the two starting places? Follow me here. I know many of you have heard this already, but not all. You either start from where we are and try to make your way up to God, or it starts up with God who comes down and speaks to us. Those are the two religions. Now, there are many, many, many varieties of this one. The one that is up from down. And they're all, at, they're all utter failures. Why? Well, because no one really knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And no one really knows the Son except the Father and the one He chooses to reveal Him. Do you see? What's that? That's up to down. That's God revealing himself to us on his authority. As opposed to us starting down here and reasoning our way up or fabling our way up or philosophizing our way up or just downright making it up our way up to God. There's only two religions and of those two religions only one leads to God because only one rests on God. Only one rests on the authority of God. Only one rests on the initiative of God parting the veil and making himself known to us. So far, so good. Father and Christ are one as to their deity, two as to their persons. There are only two religions in the world with two starting places, and only one of them will lead you to, to well, let me say it this way, and I'll make it clearer in a second. Only one of them will lead you to, to God in the way you want to go to God. <laughs> They'll all lead you to God. Do you understand? You'll, you'll end up at God. But will you end up with God as your Savior or your judge? Uh, only one takes you to God as your Savior. Thirdly, the only way to know God on God's terms is through Jesus Christ. Now let me reinflect that. The only way to know God on God's terms is through Jesus Christ. Now, I, I said at the start that this contains enraging truths. This is the one. The cross is, is the most 
uh, offensive aspect of the gospel, but probably the most enraging thing about Christian faith is the exclusivity of it. The fact that we say the only way to God as Father is through Jesus Christ. Now, the way the world parodies that is you're saying only you are right and everyone is wrong. I'm saying I could be dead and Jesus is still the only Savior. I've got nothing to do with it. (laughs) The only part I have is God in his incredible, unfathomable grace chose me and, and brought me to himself. I can never explain that to you. I can only thank God for it. But I have nothing to do with it. It's, this is nothing I made up. It's nothing I truly discovered. It was, it was shown me. I was brought to it. <laughs> I never would have found it by myself. Never, never. But I'm not even a factor. It, Christians are not saying we're right. We're saying God's right. We're saying Jesus is right. So this exclusivity really bothers people. It, it, and it bothers professed Christians as well. There's a commentator who is, I use, and he's, he's very useful sometimes and, and other times not so much. This is one of those. His name is uh, F.D. Bruner. And uh, like I say, sometimes he's really, really good. But, but when it comes to this section, this clearly really bothers him. And he says about these words, I'm not making this up, he says that this comes close to saying that only Christians know God. It comes close to saying that only Christians know God. Well, no, it, it just says it. <laughs> it doesn't come close to saying it. it. It actually says it in so many words. But, but he doesn't want to say that. He wants to say there's truth in all religions. and Well, there's truth in all religions. You know, if there's a religion that says hamburgers are yummy, true enough, you know. But as far as to, tell, to show us how to know God and worship God, and no. No, you're not going to find this, that truth in other religions because everyone who's taught by the Father does what? Comes to Christ. Because the only one who really knows the Father is who? It's Christ. And the only one who really knows Christ is who? The Father. And how do we know that? If he reveals it to us. And so that's exclusive. And it's meant to be exclusive. Billy Graham said some absolutely horrible, appalling things about, about the fact that he, he thought, oh, you know, there are people who who know Christ in all the religions of the world. They don't know his name. They don't know anything about him. But if they're good and they want something more and they try to live up to what they think is best, then they know Christ even though they don't know his name. And, and that is a way to try to wiggle around this that many have used. Well, yes, only Christ gives that knowledge, but it may not have the name of Christ. You know, He does it, but he may be invisible to the person. It may, this person may never hear the gospel or hear of Christ. He may still know God because it's Christ revealing God to him. Well, that's a nice fantasy, but, but that just does not, it doesn't make sense with Scripture. It doesn't make sense with this. It doesn't make sense with John 14, 6. John 14, 6, which says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if through me can be unconsciously coming through him, then I wonder why he bothered to say it. You know, because that's not what he's saying. He means through me consciously, intentionally, personally. And if that weren't enough, well, there's Acts 4.12. So you've got John 14.6, now Acts 4.12. What does that say? Peter says, there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. So that means there must be knowledge of Jesus. And Acts 17.30, God commands all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere to repent. God doesn't say to all men everywhere, act by the best light you have. He doesn't say that. And that's why missionaries go out. So, first... The Father and Christ are one as to their deity, distinct as to their persons. Secondly, there's only two religions in the world with two starting places, and only one ends up with God as Savior. Third, the only way to know God as Father is through Jesus. As I say, every religion will take you to God, but you'll end up with God as your judge and condemner unless uh, you and I come through Jesus. Then we come to God as our Father, but then and only then. It is exclusive. And final, fourth, When you do come to know God in Christ, you have who to thank? Only God. 
because the Father has revealed Christ to you and Christ has revealed the Father to you. Think of that. If you're a Christian, whether you're 10 years old, 20, 40, 70, 80, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ personally opened your eyes to see the truth of the Father. God the Father personally opened your eyes to see the truth of Jesus. You were not number 479,000. You weren't a, a nameless, faceless. Jesus says, I call my sheep by name. So he saves us together, but he saves us individually. We don't come in, uh, on, in lots or families. He saves us individually. So if, if you know that that if you know Jesus Christ, my hesitation is I, is I thought of a silly thing of a, that my parents did um, with the best of intention when I was a kid. You know, Christmas. And Christmas night, you put out cookies and milk. And you wake up in the morning, and <gasps> the cookies are eaten with the little crumbs, and the milk is half drunk. And you know Santa's been there, right? <laughs> Except that's all made up. I hope I'm not shocking any kids here. I hope you don't... <laughs> Hope you don't do that, but uh, <laughs> I don't recommend it. But, but, you know, but that's the idea. If, if the cookies and the milk are gone, well, that meant Santa's there. But, but in reality, in, in eternal, amazing truth, if you know Jesus, well, that means Jesus has come to you personally and opened your eyes. God the Father has come to you personally and given life to your heart to bring you to that saving knowledge. And so you get to heaven, you will have one person to say thank you to. And you won't be near a mirror when you say it. Amen? You will fall down on your knees and throw whatever crown you have at the feet of the throne and you will thank God for His saving grace in stooping to take you and make you His. This is what Jesus says. So, Matthew has shown us the exclusive greatness of God's Son. All things to Him were handed over by His Father. And no one truly knows the Son except the Father. And no one truly knows the Father except the Son and anyone, anyone to whom he decides to reveal him. And this is why the Apostle John can say it so boldly and plainly, words that hit me very hard as the Lord was saving me out of that cult. John, 1 John 5.12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Utterly binary you have Jesus, you have life. You don't have Jesus. You have existence, you have activity. You don't have life. And so, who do we need? We need Jesus. All things were delivered over to him by his Father. We need that person. We need Jesus. Whatever else we think we need, what we really need is Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have all. You know, I heard the story as a young Christian of the missionary who sat down at his table with some stale bread and some kind of iffy looking water. And he looked at it and he said, Jesus and all this? Because he knew what, was real, what made him rich was not what was on the table. It was what, was what was in heaven. Saying his name before the Father. Jesus Christ. The one mediator between God and man. So because eternal life is to know God and only Jesus gives eternal life, we come to God through Jesus, and in Jesus we find God as our Father. Amen? A few moments to think about this, pray about this, jot down any to-dos on your outline. A few moments of silence, and then I'll close this in prayer. Oh God, we give all praise to your glorious Son. You've given all things to him. We have nothing he needs. We just give him praise. We give him glory. We accredit all honor and wisdom and might and riches and strength and power to him who is the image of the invisible God. Him who if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. Him who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Our Lord Jesus. 
And Father, I would pray earnestly for anyone who's come here not knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, that the Spirit of God will draw that one to embrace him in faith, to come to know you in your dear Son. And for all of us who do, encourage and strengthen our hearts and help us to bear clear, true, and bold witness to the truth of God in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.